Hey there, freaks. Is this thing on? It's your boy Marty Ben here to introduce this week's episode of Tales from the Crypt. Getting this episode out a little bit late on a Saturday morning here. I had a busy, busy week. Recorded three podcasts in 24 hours between Thursday and Friday, with this one being the second of the three. Sat down with Whit Gibbs, uh, co-founder of uh, Hashrate OS and the co-host of the Hashrate podcast. Uh, Wit came across my uh, radar on Monday. Actually, somebody forwarded me the most recent um, episode of the Hashrate podcast from last week, and they were talking a lot about SHA-256 mining and ASICs and what's going to happen around the halving with S9s being moonlighted. Uh, Wit also mentioned that he was going to be in New York later that week, so I DM'd him and said, hey, I'd like the conversation you guys had on that podcast revolve, revolving around uh, ASIC miners. Uh, I'd like to shoot the shit about mining, because I think mining... Something, again, that I'm infinitely fascinated by uh, in this space. I think it's something that's underscored uh, and very underappreciated. Uh, a lot of people overlook it for software. I think uh, this Bitcoin revolution is as much as a hardware revolution as it is a software revolution. And I don't think mining gets enough tick on this show. Uh, so I, I invited Wit in to talk about mining and what he's been doing, uh, Hashrate OS, they create uh, software to monitor mining operations for miners. Um, so we talked a lot about the mining landscape, uh, different types of mining, GPU mining, ASIC mining. There's a little bit of shitcoin talk in this podcast, trigger warning. Um, but it was an overall great conversation. We also drifted into uh, a bunch of other topics, including freedom in the digital age, how to uh, create a social profile in the modern age. Uh, it seems like social credit scores are already here in America uh, it's just not uh, as blatant as it is in China. Uh, Wood has a very interesting story about that particularly. So definitely make sure you listen to the whole episode to get a, to get a really good conversation. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by the Cash App. You freaks already know all about them. And if you don't, now you will. All right? The Cash App is letting you do a bunch of stuff. Right? They got their boost program where you can initiate a boost. They're switching it up every day. I just checked this morning. Whole Foods 10% boost was available in my neighborhood. Um, so I used it. Uh, boost, you get a debit card, you get to personalize, put your name on it, you put a little Bitcoin sign on it, you can do whatever you want. Um, and then you go and you spend it at Partner Merchants and you get a little discount. Uh, the Whole Foods 10 count, 10% discount. If you're Amazon Prime member too, you get that discount as well. Pretty dope. On top of that, they're letting you stack sacks, stack sacks, stack sats, excuse me. They're letting you buy Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin, send Bitcoin, receive Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin only too. Um, so uh, you can stack sats on the Cash App if you so please. Now they have Cash App investing, letting you stack stonks as well. If You uh, you don't have to stack the stonks. I know a lot of you complain about stacking stonks, but if you want to, it is there, and you don't have to buy a whole share. If your favorite company is just a little bit too expensive for you, you can buy a little bit of $1 of that stonk. Okay, You can stack slivers of stonks now. And because uh, excuse me, because Cash App is directly connected to your bank account, you're not going to have to wait four to five days for that money to hit your ca your account you can start investing today all right um cash app investing is a subsidiary of square and member sipc okay and when you download the app make sure you use the code stacking sats that's one word s-t-a-c-k-i-n-g-s-a-t-s stacking sats you're going to get ten dollars if you haven't downloaded the app yet use that code and then cash app's going to send ten dollars to our good friends at owls lacrosse in chicago charity very near and dear to our heart owls lacrosse <laughs> Enjoy this episode with Wit. It's a very cool conversation. Uh, good whiskey conversation, too. Shout out to uh, Heller Whiskey. Very good bourbon. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. 
It's your boy Marty Bent here on a Thursday night, sipping on some, what are we drinking here? Weller, the original weeded bourbon, special reserve, brought to you by tonight's guest, Whit Gibb, the co-founder and CEO of Hashrate OS, and uh, the host of the Hashrate podcast. I found him this week. Welcome to the podcast, Whit. Thanks, Marty. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, this happened. We threw this together in a few days. Somebody forwarded me your latest episode of the Hash Rate Podcast. I listened to it. Uh, I've been coming more fascinated with mining uh, by the day, um, and I don't think mining gets enough tick on this podcast. I wanted to bring you in. I really enjoyed the conversation that you had with your co-host. Who, who do you co-host that with? So the show is with uh, myself, Crypto Chris Walken, Mean Hash, and Whale Bear Man. Yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah, really a quick 30-minute rip, uh, and I really wanted to expand on some of the topics that you guys talked about, particularly the phasing out of S9s with the S upcoming halving um, and the efficiency of the current ASICs on the market and ones that will be coming on the market. Uh, but first, let's start. Like, how? What's your backstory? This is Tales from the Crypt. What's your tale? How did you end up starting uh, a mining business? Yeah, so I bought the top in 2017. <laughs> uh, all in, actually, literally all in, quit my day job. The day I bought Bitcoin and ETH in December of 2017, you sent it all the way in. What was your all What was your in. What was going through your mind? Uh, this better work because I, you know, married with two kids. When I told my wife, "Hey, look, I'm going to walk away from a lucrative sales job and and go full time into crypto," which I didn't know anything about, and neither did she. She just looked at me and was like, "All right, well, I've trusted you this far. Better work <laughs> out." So, so did so did like quote-unquote crypto just hop into your mind uh during the mania of 2017 or had any, like any touch points before that there were a few before that so i at one point had owned a business where i sold cardomizers for electronic cigarettes um and this was in 2013 and uh somebody had tried to buy a big portion of those off of us in bitcoin and we turned them down so that was the first time i'd ever heard anything about it but it was fake money and no one knew what to do with it at that point in time uh, and then that was the last that I'd heard of it until the mania. And then once the mania hit and I started to see that, okay, this actually has legs. Um, and then I was having a conversation with one of my mentors and he mentioned to me that, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is like somebody hit the reset button on the economy. So if you really focused on an area, you could become the authority in that area in the next 10 years. And to me, that was exciting. As an entrepreneur, you're always looking for opportunity. And it just seemed to me like the best opportunity to apply, you know, what I'd worked towards my entire life to one focused area. So what, uh, what was your background before crypto sales? sales? Yeah. Sales. I was in business development. I helped to rebuild a sales program for a website that it's called puppyspot.com. It's basically the largest online dog brokerage in the, in the world. Boss. They do about $50 million in puppy sales a year. <laughs> yeah. So I was part of that team to, to build that platform. And then from there into crypto. So what, uh, came in, at the top, <laughs> what, what was your first move? My first move was to go all in on Ripple at about $3. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you touch the stove right away. Oh, it's, man. Sometimes it takes a, a bit of time. I rode that one all the way down, all the way down. I remember we were... So Did Brian first, Kelly teach you how to buy it? I, I fortunately was in before BK pitched it on <laughs> CNBC. Uh, but the worst mistake I ever made was showing my wife our portfolio at the top uh, and not selling so, you know, my rule now is if I ever feel the need to show my portfolio to anyone, I immediately have to sell everything because that's definitely the top. So wrote it all the way down, uh, literally lost almost everything that I put in. 
and then uh, got locked in with a couple of really good traders, learned from them, was fortunate to build everything back up. Then I linked up with my my co-host of the show and my co-founders of Hashrate at a conference in Chicago. And uh, they started making fun of me for not not being very very good at mining. Um, so we you know worked towards building a platform that was simple enough that I could use it. And okay, so let's talk about uh, Hashrate OS. Yep. What what are what are we doing with Hashrate OS? It's an operating system. Uh, we were talking uh, before. I'm a little bit um, ignorant to the different operating systems. I was uh, saying I, I know Brains pretty well, but that's more targeted towards firmware. You're, uh, you were telling me Hashrate is more focused on the on the software side, correct? Yeah. So Hashrate is a Linux-based operating system. We built it custom to run on ASICs, uh, GPUs, FPGAs coming soon. And really, it is designed to help you manage and operate your machinery as efficiently as possible so you can maximize profitability. So we've started you know, at a very base level, focused on GPU miners, and we've continued to scale, adding more features and functionality so that it can be used by everyone. Linux is often looked at as the most complicated kind of operating system. Most people will gravitate towards Windows because they assume it's what's easiest. But what we're seeing with Hashrate is people actually move away from Windows to Hashrate OS because there's not as it's not as complicated as, as it used to be. And we also provide a high level of support so that anyone who needs that assistance, we will walk them through the entire process. So we have a Discord set up where anyone can come in, we'll help them troubleshoot any problems that they have, get set up, get them set to mine efficiently, and then they're off to the races. So when you say help people mine as profitably as possible, are you talking about controlling fans from far away or switching like in a nice hash like uh, situation from chains that are most profitable at any given time? Both. Yeah, so mining is, is complex. I mean, you've got your SHA-256, which there it's mostly tuning your machinery, making sure that you've got your overclock settings properly. When you go into the GPU realm, there's a whole nother bag of tricks. So we talk about which coins to mine, how to mine those most efficiently, what are your overclock settings, um, which pools are going to be the best for you, all of those things. It's all brought into one. Yeah, and what, uh, what was it like in the research phase putting this product together? How, how do you, how, what was the learning curve like for you? <laughs> Fortunately... I have partnered with some amazing people. So my co-founders have years of experience. I mean, mining since 2011. So my learning curve was great. Theirs, you know, they brought that skill set to the table already. Yeah. Um, mining since 2011. They, they, uh, Isn't that crazy? Right. And that's, uh, mining has gone through a lot of evolutions, right? Mm -hmm. So we've gone through from CPU to GPU to FPGA with ASICs and Bitcoin particularly. Yep. Um, one person I follow on Twitter is always like been an OG miners, not so fast. And he's the man, he's somebody from far away that I've always been watching. And he seems like he has his process down pat. Yeah. So if you are only in this, um, sort of to mine for profit at GPU mining, particularly what are, would you recommend people just go out and do this? Or, um, do you think, uh, do you think it's for uh, a very specific type of person? So I think it can be for anyone but you do have to research. So mining is a business. I think there's a lot of people that look at it like a hobby. There's a lot of people that look at it like a get rich quick scheme. Both of those tend to not be profitable. But if you approach it like any other business owner would approach a normal business, you'll be fine. Start with research, start slow, get one card, figure out how to get one card set up to mine properly, and then scale. Learn how to roll your profits into more machinery and more equipment and learn how to sell at the right times, flip your machinery at the right time, your miners at the right time, so that you can then ROI in different ways. Yeah, so do you find people that are mining professionally are mining uh, to accumulate tokens or accumulate Bitcoin or accumulate US dollars? 
Uh, so every miner has their own preferences, but usually there is a percentage of whatever they're mining that they'll hodl. And then of course they'll liquidate what they need to, to cover their costs. Mm -hmm. Now it just depends on their risk appetite. So some people are more speculative in the way that they mine. So they'll find a shit coin that maybe is just launched and they will mine as much as they can until the difficulty increases and they'll hold that for the pump. Uh, but then there's some people like ASIC miners, specifically SHA-256, who are mining Bitcoin. They're running a business and they have overhead like most people couldn't imagine. So they need to make sure that they're getting rid of some of that Bitcoin on a you know daily, weekly, monthly basis so they can cover power, their you know OPEX and their CAPEX. All right. Let's focus it on SHA-256. This is a Bitcoin podcast. I'm probably going to get some shit for, for talking about even mining shit coins, <laughs> but I don't care. Mining fascinates the fuck out of me, and I, I want to learn more about it. So that's why I brought you in with SHA-256 with ASICs these days. Um, let's talk about the evolution of them. So they're getting more efficient over time. Um, we have the S9 still running, and they were launched, what, in June of 2016? Yeah, about four years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's a four-year life cycle. Before that, what was the life cycle of a typical ASIC or... Or minor on the it was honestly before my time uh but you know before when so when bitcoin first launched it was cpu mining right so you would you'd be able to make a substantial what we would consider a substantial amount of bitcoin now just using your computer yeah and then that gauged up to um gpus and then from there fpjs had a little place in history uh, and then the asics started to come out and since the asics came on which obviously asics do one thing very well right application specific integrated circuits they focus on bitcoin and i mean they destroy that network and make a ton of money for the people who are using them uh, and that's just been the the focus since then so since those have launched uh, i think the s9s are really the they're the the granddaddy they're the marquee they're the one that i think has has proven to be the most efficient the most profitable for the longest period of time and who knows with the way that hardware is scaling they may go down as the like the cult favorite of all ASICs that were ever released. Like if you look back at you know sneakers and you think like the original Jordans, mm -hmm. S9s might be the original Jordans. Yeah, I mean they're still. It blows my mind that they're some are still operational after four years, considering yeah. the short life cycles of mining uh, hardware before that. Um, and it's crazy. Asics didn't come on until after the first halving too. I actually did some research earlier this week at PGAs where were the dominant mining hardware, well, at least publicly, the dominant mining mm -hmm. hardware um, in 2012 when we had the first halving. Uh, do you see the uh, advances in ASICs with like the M20Ss and the S17s continuing that sort of long life cycle? I, I think that the life cycle is going to shorten because mm -hmm. the space is more competitive. And I say that cautiously because it's not proven that the... Although you get, you hear a lot about the the next release of ant miners and and the Canons, and you hear that they're going to be rushing out their their next batch of Asics. Who knows how fast I actually be able to produce those? So I, I think that we're looking at more of a two year life cycle from here on with Asics. I don't know that we'll see another run like we're seeing with the S nines. Interesting. Do you, do you see like an Asic modification point, like where sort of we hit a plateau where there's not many more improvements that can be made. I, some would say that there is a, a level of diminishing returns that we'll, we'll see with the ASICs. I think it's, it's just too early to call, you know, we're coming off of a period where Bitcoin's price action has been a little weird. Um, you know, 2018 was a pretty nasty correction and 2019 was, was what it was. There were a lot of people who were still mining profitably 
um, but it wasn't necessarily the the easiest for some of the Bitcoin miners that were out there. Um, but now, you know, it's it's just too hard to tell. There's so much more competition coming online with the ASIC, so many more ASIC manufacturers that want to get in the mix that I think the space is going to get more and more competitive. And hopefully, like with all, all areas of competition in business, that will make the conditions more favorable for the consumer, for the end user, uh, and hopefully will, you know, increase the efficiency of the machines and potentially drive down the cost. Yeah. Now, it's, again, infinitely fascinating to me because especially 11 years in to Bitcoin, uh, obviously China dominating mine, mining has been the narrative and, yeah. it, and it seems that, um, things may be shifting away from China. Uh, but like how imperative do you think it is that, that mining shifts away from China, Bitcoin specifically? Yeah, it's, it's important that we try. It seems to be a losing battle. Why do you think that? Right now, because of the, the logistics of it all. Uh, to get ASICs from anywhere or for from China to anywhere else in the world, it takes a, a quite a long time. Whereas the Chinese miners can get them quickly, so quickly, in fact, that they can actually buy them, mine profitably, and then sell them to the Western world uh, in you know a much more extended period of time. Now there are people who I think would like to produce ASICs elsewhere, but realistically, like with everything else, when it comes to electronics, I mean, just imagine if like what would the price of your iPhone be if Apple manufactured all of the parts in the States. Yeah. You know, then it's just not, it's not efficient. It's not, you know, cost wise. Yeah. No, that, that brings up the question of foundries, right? There's four foundries in the world, maybe two where the, uh, efficient ASIC production makes sense. And T TSCM or TCS. TSMC. TSMC. I always get my, uh, yeah. I always get my acronyms messed up. Um, and then another one in South Korea, correct? That, that TSMC is in, Taiwan, correct? Yeah. And then you have Global Foundries, you have Samsung. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's like, so that's been something I've been talking on this podcast every once in a while is we need to get a fucking foundry here in the States uh, if we want to be competitive in the long run. And it's, I mean, it's an open-ended question. Like, what is going to incentivize that to happen? Is Bitcoin going to have to be the impetus that uh, makes that happen? I don't know. I think that it's, it's a great concept. It would be awesome to see. Those other foundries, though, this is, you know, ASIC chips are one, or Bitcoin-specific ASICs are one of their yeah. products, right? If you think about how big Samsung is, to think that they would devote more attention than they already are to just producing something for Bitcoin, when the market re is, is really still so small, it's not justifiable for them. Um, for something to start in the States, I think Bitcoin's total market cap would need to get to a place where it would justify the spend because it does, I mean, it's, it's a lot of money to get one of those things started. Yeah. Uh, and I know that there have been, there have been some players that have tried. I think Intel gave a, a good run at it and I, I don't think that that panned out well for them. Um, but who knows? I, I mean, innovation can continue to, to occur. We're in a, a disruptive era where people are always looking to disrupt existing businesses, existing technology. I'm hopeful. I think it would be great. No, I do too. No, like, do you think mining, Bitcoin mining particularly, is a, is something I tweeted out earlier, is a issue of national security in the long run, if Bitcoin is to be successful, uh, with that assumption in mind? I think that if the United States doesn't get their shit together pretty quick and start to pay more attention to it and really incentivize uh, Bitcoin mining facilities to come here, uh, they will get left in the dust. Whether it's a national security issue, 
I wouldn't say that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that from an economic standpoint, we're, we're losing the race. And we don't seem, our government doesn't seem to care. Uh, but it's, it's all part and parcel with the way that the government has viewed tech to an extent for the last 10 years, right? If you think about it, a lot of the tech talent in the United States now comes from elsewhere. You know, if you look at a lot of the Silicon Valley startups that are huge multi-billion dollar companies, a lot of their talent is from Russia or India or China. You know, there's just not enough focus on that here yet. Yeah. Yeah. Are we losing our grip? Is Rome falling? (laughs) Man, man. So with my, my in-laws are, uh, I mean, my, my wife was born in, into the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have these conversations all the time around the dinner table about America and how, uh, you know, we're headed in this really weird direction. And it's it's a total it's a total crapshoot right now. Who knows what could happen? It's going to take uh, a, basically a new generation of people to make the push for these things, um, which always brings the, the questions. Are there enough innovators left? Are there enough people who really want to to do something like this, who want to take that? you know, that horse by the reins and actually drive it. No, I feel the same exact way. God, I hope so. But very yeah. similarly, uh, the reason I, what my aha, like wake up moment, uh, with America going down a bad path was actually, uh, caused by a Soviet as well. Uh, my, the CIO at the firm I used to work for <laughs> freaks have heard this story a bunch of times on this podcast, but I, I'm not sure if you've heard this yet. I used to work for, um, a Russian man who who grew up in the USSR and immigrated to the, the U.S. in 1994 and in 2012. We were having like a portfolio meeting, just talking about investment ideas and stuff. And we got on like dystopian futures. And he looked at me. He was like, Marty, when I moved here in '94, I cried when I walked through the airport. Like I had tears coming down to my eyes. The natural feeling of freedom I'd never felt in my life. Ever since 2001, America's slowly turning into the Soviet Union I ran away from. And that there, that one conversation changed my life forever. I think I was like, what the fuck, Dimitri? What's going on? Uh, and that's part of why I've been so dedicated to Bitcoin for the last however many years. Because I think this is an opportunity to sort of take the, the power back and curb the state a bit and curb the encroaching Soviet Union-esque uh, government that's coming to America after the Patriot, Patriot Act specifically. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that I'm the oldest of four and over the holidays, having a conversation with my, my two sisters and my brother, uh, I posed the thought that they actually are more communist than they would imagine. And I laid out because most people talk about socialism, but they don't realize that communism is the ideal form of socialism. Like I think I, they're interchangeable in my mind. Well, I mean, if you think about it, if there's, a, if there's a governmental system where everything is equal and the state provides for everyone, that, I mean, that really is communism. It's just never worked anywhere ever before. And I think that we're still naive to say that, oh, it could work here. Um, but, you know, I mean, it just, it doesn't. And, and you know, I, I agree with you in saying that Bitcoin is a way to take that back. That is one of the most exciting things about it is it does level the playing field in a way that, I mean, the, the power for the ability for people to regain power in their life is if it's not grabbed now, it's going to be gone. No, and we are at a critical junction in human history. Um, are you optimistic, pessimistic? 
I'm an optimist eternally. Yeah. Probably to a fault. Yeah. I am as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what, if you're not, what's the sense? You know what exactly. I mean? Like, well, it's, well, it's not like, why, why be, oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Uh, somebody just broke into the studio. <laughs> it's all good. They were trying to join. Yeah, they were trying. <laughs> the shirt, nobody ever uses this room. So she's probably like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> um, was that a rude excuse me? Was I just too brash there? No, I think it was fine. Okay, it was fine. Yeah. Excuse me? <laughs> we're just drinking bourbon and talking about Bitcoin. Come on. Do you guys want to come learn? Um, yeah. No, it is like... Do you think, uh, I know we're optimists. Sometimes I look out though and I, I like want to shake people, like wake the fuck up. Mm. Like, uh, and I don't want to make, make this too. Um, like political? Sh- yeah, nah, political. <laughs> Bitcoin's in- inherently like drives people to talk about politics. It's true. At the end of the day. Like, it's true. Bitcoin is an apolitical tool, but it drives people. It, it draws in people with political thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what do you think about that? So when you look at the Bitcoin community, um, I think most would say, most would say that, uh, they lean libertarian. Would you agree with that? I mean, see, that's what I don't like being labeled. Like I probably like have some thoughts that libertarians would agree with. Uh Definitely impartial to the, the Austrian business cycle. Um, but I, I do recognize that at some level, um, centralization, is inevitable in these in these systems mm-hmm. uh like i don't think i don't think you're just gonna have fucking like a libertarian utopia ever yeah. like, i don't think that's realistic um but yeah it definitely does i think oh yeah i think uh the libertarians definitely caught the bug first right uh the first people to talk about bitcoin was what the uh, free state radio in new hampshire um first people to price bitcoin were new liberty.com uh, libertarian driven so I definitely think it hooked them in first but I, I would argue that Bitcoin is for anybody right? agreed yeah so what are your thoughts on and I know we talked a little bit about this before what are your thoughts on the the state of the people that are currently servicing the Bitcoin and the crypto community I know in my last podcast I went on a little bit of a rant um, but let's throw that to you so I don't have to start this off what do you what do you think of that like Get more specific. So my personal belief is that Bitcoin has attracted a lot of really great people with, with solid ideals, but it's also brought the leeches and the opportunists. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my last year was basically spent going to conferences to learn because I dove in and I wanted to figure this out. And what I realized from a lot of these conferences is that most of the people don't give a shit about anything but money. And given enough time, I think they turn everything back into the current system, just surrounded by in there and with, with them at, at the helm. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that definitely agree. And it depends on what conference you go to, I would argue. Agreed. Like the Agreed. North American Bitcoin conference is the, uh, the epitome of that, uh, that mentality. I had the pleasure <laughs> or the displeasure of going last year. Um, and I was just like, Oh my God, Brock Pierce is here. Fucking Jeffrey Tucker's on stage. Like, ah, like fuck, fuck all these people. Um, yeah, that's a it's a double edged sword, right? You get yeah. you get the the good people, in my opinion, and then you get the, some of the worst as well. Um, which is like, yeah, how do you like like? And that's what you were talking about in the podcast mm-hmm. that you dropped last Friday was uh, like 
scammers and how do we self-police them? Yeah, and that's that's important. You know, we've a lot of people think you only vote in November, but you vote every day with your spending dollar, right? You vote with your attention, you vote with your likes, you vote with all of these things that you can dedicate to either something that's going to move things in a positive direction or in a negative direction. And we get baited into doing a lot of dumb shit. And I'm guilty of it too, right? Like you'll you'll catch yourself, you know, watching something that is, you know, giving credence to you know, a, a content creator that maybe doesn't deserve it. Um, or shit, I've, I've been guilty of buying a shit coin and flipping it for Bitcoin, uh, even though I know there's no merit to the coin itself. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, no, it's the, uh, it's like the, yeah, there's that. And then you were talking about, like, particularly people who bring John McAfee on their fucking podcast <laughs> for, for clicks. We will never bring John McAfee on Tales from the Crypt. Don't worry. I would never, like, use him to pump the podcast. And, you know, listen, if, there and for for me it was specifically about bringing him on a mining podcast right like he's he's built a very successful brand for himself and once upon a time i mean shit like 90 percent of the computers that i've owned have come with mcafee pre-installed so i can't knock the guy he's he's clearly built something successful for his life um but when it comes to mining my qualm was where's the value add there like where yes he's smart yes he's done very well for himself but is that someone that you want to put on a pedestal for p- p- potentially new people that are coming into the space to look up to? I think no. Um, but, you know, I'm one person with one opinion. Uh, I think many people have that same opinion. Fuck John McAfee, man. Like, who, who the fuck? Like, yeah, cool. McAfee antivirus is cool. He made in the fucking authority of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. <sighs> Especially after he's fucking pumping it. He was get paying, like... Uh, charging people like a hundred grand to pump their coin. He got a sky coin tattoo. He got a sky coin tattoo, right? <laughs> like there's only, there's only one person that I respect on Twitter that has shit coin tattoos and that's BitLord. Oh, and that's Bit only Lord. because he's hilarious. Ah, I could fucking, I, I do not fuck with BitLord. He's I, just funny. He's like, funny. I'm not taking his trading advice. No. But I think he's a, he's a, it's a comical account. I don't fuck with BitLord. <laughs> other than, like, I actually have appreciated his, and I have been sharing his videos from Beijing uh, as he's in China as coronavirus is going around. Like, uh, that's actually, he's been a good source for, for that, that yeah. story, at least. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to, yeah, his advice in the crypto realm, I'm not a... Uh, yeah, like anybody who gets, he's got tattoos of everything. It's like him and Ken Bosick have like uh, tattoos yeah. of like all that shit. Yeah. Oh man, I've got some funny Ken stories. Ken's, <laughs> Ken's a character. <laughs> I hope you're doing well, Ken. I know you had a rough patch there. Yeah, Ken's a good guy. Uh, he's from Philly. He's, uh, I grew up in the town next to you. You don't know it though. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's a, uh, yeah, it's, there's so many fucking characters in this space. How do you try to filter? Uh, so... When it comes to, now that I have kids, you know, this has always been, uh, since, since the kids were born, my filter has always been, is this someone that I would leave alone with my children? <laughs> That's like, a very good filter. You know, if, if the answer is There's... no, then I don't want to spend time around you either. And the reason is just, it's your association. You hear it all the time and it's cliche, but you become your association. And if I wouldn't trust you to imprint on my, you know, my five and my two-year-old, I mean, mentally, I'm only 12, so why would I want to, you know, risk my adolescent brain around you? <laughs> I'm so. say I'm still a kid in my mind. Oh, man. Stay young. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's what it's all about. Um, no, I like that heuristic, though. Would I leave this person with my kid? And as somebody who's about to be a father, 
I think uh, that'll become more present in my mind. Yeah, man. So, that's, <laughs> this is like the most exciting time, to be honest. Like, I'm one of those guys that totally geeks out on being a dad. You know, like now that I've I've got kids, when we first had and we had our first child, I was just wishing that I'd done it sooner. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's such a cool experience and it's totally vain because you're, you're like, you now have a little copy of yourself <laughs> and you know, everything they do, right. It's up, you know, I, I help with yeah. that. That's half That's mine. Me. That's me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I'm very pumped. I kept it on the DL for a while freaks. I've only recently been talking about it. Um, cause again, like the whole privacy thing in this space too still is important. Um, uh, but it's inevitable. There's no way I'm going to have it. I, Got to a point where I was like, yeah, I'm going to have this kid and never talk about it. Like, <laughs> Good luck. Is that going to be possible? Good luck. You're totally <laughs> going to be the dad that whips out the phone whenever you go to <laughs> meetings. You're like, Check uh, this out. We've been talking about social media policy. It's like a weird, weird conversation to have. Like, never post them. Never, no, no, no. You God, can't. No. Well, so our co-founder, Mean Hash, uh, you know, his day job is, is, I mean, he manages a lot of uh, very important data. And he has some great insights on personal security and, and protection of your data. And he shared a lot of tips. Um, what we have basically done as a family is we've created our perfect persona profiles, which you create the ideal version of yourself on the social media platforms that you know are going to get scraped by marketers and your insurance companies and things of that nature. And it will actually help you keep your rates low uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Social credit scores are coming, people. Yeah. And they're already here. It's true. Well, so he had an example of his brother-in-law. Call us somebody. He had, a, he had an example of his brother-in-law who uh, had purchased some mountain climbing gear for a friend. And because he purchased it on his credit card and it was like extreme mountain climbing gear, they canceled his life insurance. Oh, my God. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. So that, for me is i mean it really highlights the importance of, of cryptocurrency specifically the privacy coin aspect to shield your transactions because that's coming in a very big way it's already here but i think that we're going to start to see it and it's going to be less transparent over time yes that's actually what i wrote about in the bent today in the newsletter i write um was there was an article in cnet uh that was published earlier this week. It explained how uh, teenagers, how Zoomers are basically creating shared accounts on Instagram to fuck with the tracking algorithms. Nice. So they'll have like 20 using one account and the algorithm thinks they're in 40 different places across, across the world. And wow. so they can't really track their metadata. But that was very cool. But what I gleaned from that was like, holy shit, we have teenagers scared of being tracked. Like what world are we building for our children right now? And what world do we want to fucking live in? Like where you have fucking 16 and 17 year olds having to fucking create unique ways to evade tracking, uh, like tracking algorithms on these apps. Like they weren't told to do this. They like just got creeped out and did it innately. How terrible. I just thinking about being a teenager and living in that world scares the crap out of me imagine but like like they weren't told like you're being tracked oh they just they just know yeah yeah they just know the level of paranoia there well and that's like it now in schools in the states um and you know five years from now you'll you'll witness this as early as kindergarten they start doing active shooter drills <sighs> in schools and it's fucking disgusting man. yeah man and that was baffling to me and you know my daughter was going to 
a Christian school in Florida and it was private and gated police on staff there and they're still doing these drills and to me that was just mind-blowing imagine what must go through a five-year-old's head when you're when the teacher's talking about like like traumatizing finding exits like hiding under your desk you know it reminded me of when I was in elementary school we had bomb drills you know yeah. And you'd hide under your desk and we would always joke about how like if a bomb hits the school, this, this wooden desk isn't going to do anything, you know, <laughs> but I can't imagine, I can't imagine what kids must go through now. It's crazy. It's like your youth is stolen. That and like how ass backwards is it? Like you're just mentally preparing them for that instead of like focusing on mental health of the people that would like cause that act. Right? Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it's lazy. Number one, yep. I think, uh, is it very effective? Questionable. Well, and what causes that? You know, what leads to what leads a kid to to be in such a tough spot? It's, I mean, it, it, exactly. It's just one of those one of those things that are we too far gone? Is <sighs> is the problem is the problem too advanced to be able to fix it, or do we need to stay in a reactive state like the schools are doing and just teach the active shooter drills? Uh, I don't know. That's that's a question for somebody smarter than me. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty dumb too. Or not too. I'm not calling you dumb. I'm dumb. <laughs> I don't know the answer to these questions either. Um but it does. It just off the bat, it's like, ah, this doesn't seem like the right way to go about it. Just scare the fuck out of everybody. It's true. I mean yeah, it's just conditioning. Yep. Well and now we have our oldest in school in in Europe. She's in, in Latvia in kindergarten. And it's like, I remember school, you know, it's easy going. There's no, no thought of any violence. There's no, I mean, it's just, it's different. It's different. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just the, the way that society is now. I don't, I, who knows, who knows, but it reminds me so much of my childhood growing up the way that they have it now over there. Well, it's fucking pervasive here. Like go back to Miami. Actually, when I was coming back from the North American Bitcoin conference in Miami last year, uh, I was coming back to New York in the airport in Miami-Dade and going through to TSA, there was like, a, it was bifurcated, you know, like the first half and then there was like a, a sniffing dog and then you had the second half that was going to go through the scanners. You had to go through the scanners after the fucking dog sniffed you. But in front of me, it was like a six-year-old mm-hmm. with a backpack and he wasn't allowed to walk with his parents as the dog sniffed him and he was like scared shitless of this German shepherd like yeah. up in his grill sniffing his face and I'm standing there like, are we really putting up with this right now? Crazy. Do you, do you have to sniff the six-year-old? Like, are you fucking kidding me? Does Bitcoin fix this, though? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it fixes that. Yeah. It fixes that if if if, uh, if it is uh, uh, an earnest way to starve the state and they can't pay TSA workers. Maybe. Is that possible? I don't know. So to that end, what do you think about the, and I don't want to get too far into the, the Wuhan virus, but how do you feel that this crisis may benefit Bitcoin? Do you think it will? I think it, well, actually I'm going to turn the tables here. It's my podcast. I'm going to ask you that question. <laughs> do you think it'll affect the mining supply chain? That's what I've been thinking of. Like, I, I think that it may lead to some overtrading in the Asian markets because just like us, if they're sitting at home with their computer and they're not allowed to leave their house, they may... Is that why Tesla hit 905? <laughs> they, the they may be trading a little bit more. 
I don't. I, I saw an article today about the state seizing a mining facility in China, but I need to go back and, and do a little fact fact checking on that. It doesn't make much sense considering that all of the state. I mean, from what I've I know from the the interviews that we've done, all of the state agencies are aware of all of the mining facilities that exist. So it's not like any of them are are you know done covertly. Yeah, Venezuela was able to target and. Um, uh, target Bitcoin miners and seize them. I, I would imagine China might be better equipped to yeah. do that as well. Yeah. Well, my understanding is they're all being paid under the table. So the, the miners are all paying people or paying off the, the appropriate agencies. And uh, I think it's, it's okay the way that it's being done. I don't think there's any, any grief being given from Beijing that these people need to need to be shut down. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion that the Chinese government is, is pretty happy that the majority of the Bitcoin mining is being done in China. Um, you think they're hoarding any? I mean, shit, if I was a government, it's a nice hedge. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? No, that's a topic I've been covering on this podcast and my newsletter a lot too, is the, uh, the long con of trying to get oil contracts priced in anything but the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. And China and Russia have been leading the way in that and denominating oil contracts in their native currencies. And if the petrodollar is truly the reserve currency of the world mm-hmm. and you have this apolitical currency in Bitcoin, then you can completely let you bypass that like it would make sense right well and you've got the initiative out of china what is it the one road yeah where they're dumping like four trillion in africa or something like that everywhere so in europe too they're going to 5g yeah well they're going to all of these different countries and they're saying we'll help you rebuild your infrastructure and it's a tit for tat right we'll help you do this you give us that and the united states has a lot of their power because they have nato bases all over the the world, right? We go in and we say, okay, we're going to, we're going to build a base here. We'll staff it with troops. We'll protect you. And in exchange for that protection, you will base your currency on USD, right? Now what happens if those bases get kicked out and Chinese bases are put in? Now, would that happen? Who knows? Could it happen for sure? And if it does happen though, like um, who's going to trust the Yuan when they're in NIMBY? A lot of the people who would trust it or a lot of the countries that would trust it, their currency is so devalued anyway, it doesn't matter. China's no better, I don't think. Oh, well, China doesn't care. I, I mean, just like we, I mean, it's kind of an indiscriminate thing. You know, it's kind of board, it's um, pieces on a board, it's monopoly, just on a global scale. Like you just want to get, you want to get the right pieces in the right places. And as long as you've got those, the other ones are just kind of gravy, you know, like, I mean, I don't want to shout on any specific countries, but there's definitely places in, in Europe that are less than or viewed as less than because maybe they're landlocked. Maybe they don't have very good GDP. Maybe they don't really bring a lot of quote unquote value to the table. They're just kind of there. I think those would be the first that would shift from the U.S. to China. But why would you shift from the U.S. dollar to China when Bitcoin exists? Would you? So, so I think Bitcoin, there's a whole wrench in a long-term game a lot of these countries have been playing. Agreed. And I think we're starting to see that with the stands. There's a lot of the, what? the stands, the, the former Soviet Union countries, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. Uh, we're seeing them gravitate towards Bitcoin. Uzbekistan said that they were launching their own mining pool. Um, we've had Belarus come out and say that they would like to build state-owned mining facilities. Georgia led the way. Georgia. It's not a stand, but led the way. It's, it's in that same, it's in the stand region. <laughs> <laughs> and Kazakhstan has been, I mean, it is the hub now for that area of the world where people are, are looking to build mining facilities there. Apparently, the government's very easy to work with. Uh, power is incredibly cheap. Do you uh, believe the conspiracy theory that Borat was uh, like a psyop to make Kazakhstan look worse than it is? And it's actually a paradise? <laughs> that, that would be hilarious. 
I will say I did work with, uh, I did work with someone from Kazakhstan and she was the nicest person ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows? Who knows? It wasn't, but, it wasn't his sister, was it? No, it wasn't his sister. It may have been his wife. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, it's, it's going to be a very interesting thing over the next decade to see who adopts Bitcoin because we already know Russia is big on it. You know, Russia has devoted a, a considerable amount of their capital reserves to buying Bitcoin. Um, really? Yeah, well, they announced that, I think, is this the, a couple is this of years the ago. Is this at um on Twitter? Is he the source? For no, this? no, no, no. Okay. No, this is a legitimate source. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's to get around U.S. US sanctions. You know, anytime there's I mean, sanctions the, that are posed. I mean, the rumors that Venezuela has been buying medical supplies from Russia with, uh, with Bitcoin. Uh, I've, I've had some pretty credible sources say that it's probably going on. I don't doubt it. I mean, we've already shown that we're behind the times on how to track these kinds of things. So if you were going to do something like that, why not, why not go with Bitcoin? Why not? You know, Iran is, is stacking it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it appears to be that all of the people that we would least like to be paying attention to this currency are paying far more attention than we are. Yeah, is it bad that that makes me like excited? Yeah, not excited, but it's also like it's so conflicting, right? Because I'm an American and I love the ideals that America was founded mm-hmm. on. I think we've gotten far away from those mm-hmm. ideals. I would like to get back to them. Oh man, am I going to get in trouble for saying this? But like, it's like I don't like the sanction. I don't like using weaponizing the U.S. dollar. I think it's fucking terrible. Uh, and when I see, and, and again, it's not like the government of Iran. I don't want the government of Iran mining Bitcoin. I like seeing individual Iranians. I've met Iranians. Mm-hmm. I like the Iranians yeah. I met. They're good people. Like if they're able to benefit from Bitcoin, I'm happy. Is that, is that treasonous? It's not. I don't think the people of Iran are benefiting, to be fair, but I do, th- I do agree 100% with what you're saying as far as it being an exciting, exciting value proposition. The, and you know, the weird thing is that, I mean, I can't speak for Iran. I've never been there, but the other places aren't that bad. Like we, we, we think that a lot of like Russia is the evil empire because we're raised to, to be indoctrinated with that. And it's just not the case it's not the case. I mean, there's stereotypes in every culture, right? You hear, you go elsewhere in the world. I mean, the stereotypes that they paint of Americans are not great. Um, I will say that Iran and, and Venezuela are two terrible places that I'd never wish upon anyone. But I think that their adoption of Bitcoin shouldn't, it, it shouldn't be a positive or a negative. It should just be a catalyst, a catalyst for the U.S. to get their head out of their ass. Because, I mean, it's here. It's not going to be stopped. You've got billionaires across the United States that are investing in Bitcoin at some point in time, somebody has to pay attention. Well, maybe that is the U S paying attention is the individuals, the individual billionaires, mm-hmm. uh, potentially some oil companies, potentially, uh, software companies, yeah. people like Jack Dorsey. Maybe that's how America gets in. Maybe we don't even fucking need Trump to be like, all right, we're going in fidelity, fidelity, there, you know, fidelity just retweeted Parker Lewis's, uh, Bitcoin obsoletes all other other monies. I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. let's go. But it's a, no, it's a fascinating question. Maybe that's the way America does get into Bitcoin. Just, I mean, well, the bit license sucks. We're talking, we're speaking in uh, a city with probably the most draconian Bitcoin laws <laughs> in the world. Um, so that might be, uh, that might be a little contradictory, but I do think um, when it comes to Bitcoin, particularly, I know the ICOs and all, the tokens have problems with the SEC, but um, 
Bitcoin businesses in America, like River Financial, Unchained Capital. Mm-hmm. Disclaimer, they're sponsored. Cash App, disclaimer, sponsor. Uh, <laughs> like in the States, like I, I, that's bullish to me. And I, I like seeing stuff like that. Are you saying that the United States is built on business? <laughs> I, it, <laughs> I like to think so. It is. I mean, it is. And that's that's absolutely the case. The, the minute that that changes, we're all fucked. Yeah. Um, and that's, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that we should look at the demonization of business of late is problematic. Yes, there are some businesses that are too big. I, I can buy into that. I think that Facebook should certainly go away. Yes. Um, I think, I mean, antitrust laws are in place for a reason. We should exercise them more liberally than we have in the last decade, I would argue. I will agree with that. But there are some very good companies that are doing great things that America is built on. And it just it is the way that it is. And it's worked, you know, to, to bucket now. Uh, can we do this in like five generations when I'm dead and gone and my kids are dead and gone? Like that, that that's all I would ask. If we're gonna if we're gonna go down this crazy rabbit hole where shit falls apart, can we just like wait three or four hundred years? <laughs> right. You wait know? till my family's <laughs> had had lived happy lives. No, but that's the thing, going back to like we are at this junction, this crossroads, if you will, in my opinion. Like we were talking about the social credit, like we either have Chinese, the Chinese state digital panopticon exported to the rest of the world, or we break free and, and move to a more sovereign uh, world where you control your data. That's a, that's a thing. Like, and that's another topic we talk a lot about on this podcast. Like, did we fuck up the internet with the first iteration, the way uh, data is siloed into server farms and stuff like that? So... And would it be possible to have the internet in its current uh, form without that shit? And if so, what's the fucking solution? I think it's too far gone to to backtrack at this point. I I think that the way that it's the way that it's already established is not easily walked back. Could it be? Sure, um, but I think that would take decades. Now, I do think that in the next fifty years, we will see everything shift towards public blockchains where all of these processes we're seeing routed through central servers will be distributed on, I mean, in, in my opinion, you know, proof of work algorithms that are on distributed blockchains across the United States or on a state level. Um, in one of our conversations with the state of Ohio, I was talking with someone about building a, a mining farm there. And we just, you know, we were just brainstorming and, and shooting the shit and having a very loose conversation about what if, you know, what if all state licenses, birth certificates, death certificates were all on public blockchains that were run through mining facil- facilities that were independently owned and you had miners competing over the ability to secure those networks and they were paid in fiat. Like forget paying in Bitcoin. What if, what if you paid in fiat? Hear me out. How would you do this? I, that, I don't know, but we were just, we were just you know, spitballing, just trying to figure it out. Because I think that it's, we're starting with such an obscure concept and we're trying to, to pitch it to people who it's just too, it's too obscure, right? Like they don't understand transacting anything, anything other than dollars. Well, that's what, uh, that was the point I made in the bed today. Let's stop, let's stop thinking about the institutional money and the boomers. Let's go after the zoomers and just like have them rise up with it. Yep. Then we got 20 years, right? So in 20 years, this will all be, this will all be in place. It's the same as when I was in high school, it was the legalize it campaign. Everyone wanted legal weed, (laughs) right? I remember that. You know, 20 years later, it's, it's legal everywhere or it's going to be legal everywhere. Yeah. It's pretty much, it's 
not socially frowned upon anymore. No. And that's all it is. If we can get the 15 to 20 year olds now really buying in and talking about this. Uh, and I would argue that all of those people are on Twitter right now, posing as 18 year olds on crypto Twitter. Is there a Twitter, TikTok, or Twitch? Like, that's yeah. what I'm like, where should, where should we start like yeah. propagandizing this stuff? Yeah. And that's what it's going to be, man. 20 years from now, everyone's going to be doing everything on the blockchain. Um, you know, we'll everything to, on the blockchain, everything on the blockchain to a fault. Probably. I mean, there's already, do things. you think so? Like I'm, I'm like under the belief I'm under the, like, I believe strongly that blockchains only work for very specific use cases, money being, uh, the most important and maybe like an app, like open timestamps proving that data existed at a certain point in time. Like, that is that is like the very like the two use cases of blockchain that I can think of that actually make sense in the long run. Yep, you're right. But we'll have a lot of failures that come up, and I think a big lesson that we're going to see is people will try to do everything on the blockchain. One of the big failures is going to be social media on the blockchain, <laughs> and that is something that will become nightmarish. Twitch, bro. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you had to do it. You I went there. It. There you go. Yo, dude. It's, come to Twitch. That's uh, yeah, man. We talk. So that's that's our biggest qualm with Twitch is that what what is culturally acceptable changes so quickly. Like what there's things that if 10 years ago I would have said them now I would be labeled as all kinds of God awful things. And it's just the times change. Now imagine if I had sent a tweet 10 years ago and it was on a blockchain and I could never delete it. I could never walk it back in any way, shape or form. I think those are, you know, blockchain examples that will fail. Well, and it will be shown to fail. I'll push back there. I started talking like I had Andrew Torbo on the podcast, okay. CEO Gab. Mm-hmm. And he like, he would push back against this, and and uh, I'm sort of in the middle right now. I'm like, do I want to like leave that on the internet? Would I, uh, would I not care? And his argument is like, don't ever say sorry. Like, hey, you may have fucked up in the past. You may have been a different person. You probably were a different person if you didn't agree with it. Um, and if people try to go back in your history and paint you as a certain type of person in the mo- in the current times, like you shouldn't let them weaponize that, that data. Right. Yeah. I think there's a lot of power in changing your mind though. So exactly. And, and I also think that to, to kind of buy into the not, and I I get where he's coming from. So I, I am a person that, you know, I believe if you're wrong, you should apologize quickly, be swift about it and then right your wrongs. Um, I don't think you should ever go back and apologize for, for behavior that you believe strongly in, in the past. Um, the question is when you're in your, let's say early twenties and you don't really know what you believe strongly in, but you're buying into herd mentality or saying something stupid or drunk tweeting, right? <laughs> Still guilty of that. So, I mean, like <laughs> then what, but like, then is it not okay to say you're sorry? Then like, you know, it's those situations that I think are, are where you would need to be able to walk them back. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think like when Andrew said that, I was like, oh fuck God. Like I was a completely like delete your tweets. Like got a lot of respect for him though, man. What he's built is, I mean, that platform is amazing. Yeah. It's, um, and I think the way Twitter's going right now, man, the zero hedge thing was, that was a tough one. Dude, did they really ban project Veritas? Or is that like a false rumor? I heard. I don't, I don't, I haven't, I I heard that rumor today. I haven't like jump in, jumped in. I haven't jumped in. Yeah. I haven't jumped in to like see if it's a, well, it's so arbitrary. Like they, they took down the big, the Bitcoin 2020 conference Twitter handle. Yeah. Well, why? I mean, 
I, I don't I don't know the reasons behind it. Um, but we were, you know, I was talking to them and that happened and it's just like they they don't say anything. They they don't say anything that's that's offensive or rude or threatening or racist or that would fit in any of those terms of service items and they're just arbitrarily taken down. They've got a conference in two months. Yeah. How bad does that hurt? I mean, if I mean they got it back, but what if they wouldn't have? That right. would have impacted their business significantly. Right. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't sue Twitter for that. I mean you could, but no, no, it's not like, going to work. And people like to fall back on the argument like they're a private company. They can do what they want. But, again, network effects, all that stuff that we talk about in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, like Twitter has built up a network effect where it is, in my mind at least, a public square. There's a lot of reputation with Zero Hedge in particular. Uh, uh, Michael Krieger from Liberty Blitz, Blitzkrieg wrote a piece earlier this week, and he made a very good point. Like, you can't even go back even though they're banned into perpetuity going forward. You can't go back and look at their tweets in the past mm-hmm. and Twitter, that's what I use for my news. That's my number one source of the newsletter. Yeah. I use it as a source for history, right? And now new, Zero Hedge's Twitter has been wiped from history. Like, it's just whitewashing over it. Like, even if you disagree with it, you can't even, you can't even go cite it. Like, it's not there anymore. And that's a shame because they put out a lot of great articles. You yeah. know, it's funny. When I, I used to mentor people, and I always would cite a Zero Hedge article. Um, and this is when I was mentoring for uh, a group that, I mean, they were fairly, I mean, fairly the opposite of crypto Twitter, right? Um, what is that? <laughs> it, was just, it, was, it was helping young people figure out how to get out of debt and get on the right track. <laughs> well, and, yeah. that's crypto Twitter. Bitcoin Twitter, I would argue, is on that track too. Yeah. So, but it was just, we would use Zero Hedge. They, have a, they had a lot of really great articles that they came out with that were, that were apropos, were important for the times. Um, and it was a shame when I saw that. That was, that was sad because ultimately, like, what is journalism if not just people's opinions that are you know, rooted in some fact? And that's the most fucked up part. Is like, and that's a slippery slope, right? When you have one entity, in this case Twitter, acting as the arbiter of truth. Yeah. And they changed their, like Francis Paulette from Bull Bitcoin in Canada mm-hmm. tweeted out two days ago. He looked at their, their new policies and they are going to try to highlight truth and uh, uh, hide what they deem to be not the truth. It's like, ah, ah. And who controls it? That's right? the hardest part is the people the people that are going to be controlling it are like the last people that you would want to control a narrative. Exactly. It's, Twitter's going to be so woke, bro. It's going to be <laughs> so woke. So woke. I saw you tweet that earlier. It's if I'm so calling you woke. woke, I'm making fun of you. <laughs> it's so woke. Ah, <sighs> uh, Yeah. Which, but like, I'm not going to fucking leave until I get kicked off. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're going to end up on Twitch. Oh God, no! I'm never end up on Twitch. I'll end up on Gab. I'm not not gonna end up on Twitch. You don't need to fucking put your social media company on a blockchain. You're an idiot if you think that. <laughs> Sorry. So, God, man, it, it's. I hope that. I hope that it doesn't go the way that we think think it's gonna go, or the way that it seems that it's gonna go. I hope that discourse can still continue. Um, and. That's the fucked up thing. I, I, we, I just recorded a podcast and posted it before you walked in here, or, or weekly. I do a weekly show at Matt O'Dell, or a rabbit mm-hmm. hole recap, and yep. we talked about this at the end. Like, I don't think Jack Dorsey wants this to happen. Like, I've interviewed him, too. I've looked him in the eyes. Like, I think he is actually down for the cause and, and is nostalgic for what Twitter originally was. And when I sat down with him, he was like, Twitter, 
when we first started it, it was a communications protocol in mm -hmm. my mind. It was just something where people could put messages out to, out to the world. And that's like, he didn't say it, uh, he didn't say it directly, but like, again, like I'm a big, big, like look people in the mm -hmm. eyes and can, can read them. And like, and I felt like I had this nostalgia for what Twitter used to be. And, yeah. and again, he was like Steve jobs. He got kicked out was asked to come back. And maybe when he was gone, the people in charge fucked up the app that he built. And that's why I think him funding open source developers for an open source social mm -hmm. network protocol is sort of like a, a signal like, Hey, I know this isn't what I wanted it to be. And I'd like it to get back to this. And disclaimer, Jack Dorsey's other company sponsors the podcast. <laughs> you know, it's Jack is, I mean, I have a lot of respect for him and I can't imagine what must be going through someone's head like that when their company gets so big so fast. Right. You know, you start something when you're a young person. You government's approaching you like, you got to do this. You got to do that. I mean, if you think about it, his platform is the chosen method of communication for the president of the United States. Right. Like our president chooses Twitter. By the way, Trump had the greatest troll of all time last night. Which I didn't see it. It was like the Time magazine cover of him, like Trump 2020, 2024, oh, yeah. 2028, 2032. Forever. <laughs> but I mean, so that's it. I mean, like this is... That's his platform. And imagine, imagine now the burden on Jack when, I mean, let's face it, he started this as a cool thing to get an idea out there. He could not have imagined it would become what it is. No, no way. No. I don't think any of them could have. I don't, like, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg could have looked at the original Facebook and imagined that it would be. No, the original Facebook was, was pigeonholed to harvard.edu email yeah. addresses. Like yeah. he was just thinking about his college, not anything outside of it. I mean, dude, I was a party promoter when we first got access to Facebook. And I remember it was the best thing ever. Cause you could literally, I mean, that's all it was used for. We thought we were innovative because we could put a party flyer on there and send it to all of the girls on campus. And now, I mean, it's everything. I've, I've since, I mean, I'm still on WhatsApp and Instagram, unfortunately, but I've not been on Facebook in years. I only use Facebook to keep in touch with relatives. Um, I don't do Instagram and I mean, WhatsApp on occasion, but we're moving everything over to signal now as a family. Yeah. yeah. I'm only on WhatsApp for my college friends and yeah. Instagram. I only use to keep up with my family. There you, okay. I don't like post much. I just look at what my family's posting. All right. Yeah. Your family's on Instagram. They're with it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Hey, I'm trying here. There you go. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we were supposed to talk about mining this whole podcast, but I told you we would drift into other topics. Good. This is what bourbon will do to you. Exactly. This is a great bourbon, by the way. Glad you like it, man. Glad we're, you like uh, it. What, what makes this bourbon? Uh, so Why are you particular about this bourbon? I rarely see Weller, um, but Weller is the original recipe that spun off into Pappy Van Winkle. Ooh. Yeah. So it's, it's really good. I think now it's actually made by Buffalo Trace. But it is, um, it's just, it's really smooth. And, you know, considering I've been in Latvia drinking Irish whiskey for the last three months, it's nice to, it's nice to come back to something yeah. with a little, little more sugar content. The, uh, the Latvia Bitcoin scene's popping. Uh, a good friend of mine, Manny Majinkus, uh, the Crypto Voices podcast, he's, the, he's there in Riga too. Um, I love the Hano Hano conference. Um, Riga's, I fucking love, I mean, I've only experienced Riga in latvia mm -hmm. um i loved it when i was there i did four days in latvia and riga particularly 
um, great small fucking city. Yep. Walkable. Yep. Uh, good vibes, good food, surprisingly good food. There's good steakhouses in Riga. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's a little hidden gem for sure. We've, so my wife's family's from there. We've been going back and forth for the last 10 years and, you know, we've got a little place that's about an hour outside of Riga. Um, but everything is just clean there. The air is clean. We live out in the country. There's a huge garden. And when I say, when I say huge garden, I mean that aside from the winter months, if we don't kill it or pick it we don't eat it Boss. so i mean elk um deer they have raybuck which are smaller deer Ray really buck. lean mm-hmm. and then there's wild boar so basically our entire rotation is just boar deer elk and clean veggies it's great yeah if you come this year for for hodl hodl we'll have you out we'll do a barbecue for sure i would love to do that yeah that's what i loved about hodl hodl is the uh, like on the excuse me burping um, outside the conference, they were doing like the Latvian style barbecues, yeah. which is something I've never seen. Wait, did you go this year? No, I didn't go this year. I, I was, was there last year. I saw Matt. Matt was there. Yeah. yeah. I saw Matt. And this year we, so I've been trying to cut back on my Bitcoin conferences. Smart. I think they're jumping the shark a little bit. Yeah. The, so we'll, we'll go back. We will do, um, hodl hodl this year. We'll do Baltic honey badger. Um, and then we may do a couple of others, but me too. I think in 2019, I did eight conferences. Uh, this year I'll do five. Um, I count New York blockchain week as one conference instead of like 14 different ones. But no, that's, uh, that's, um, I'm, I'm, I say I'm cutting it down to two. Now that you mentioned blockchain week, I'm not officially going to consensus, but I live in New York, but I'll be like, poaching people um from the conference to do podcasts and actually we'll be doing haven't announced this yet and haven't locked it down yet but i'm pretty sure we're going to be able to lock it down we'll be doing a live rabbit hole recap at the subculture theater in soho during blockchain week nice Um, awesome that will be our mini conference drag people away from the shitty conferences um but so i want to say something on that though because coming from traditional businesses consensus is the only traditional conference like you would experience in other industries so i know people give consensus a lot of shit but if you're in any other industry that is what a conference looks like um and they've they do it pretty well i'm not gonna lie like it's it's a well-produced conference yes it's a lot of icos but no i talk shit to like matt and i may be leading uh, a workshop at consensus too <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna get in trouble bailey i'm sorry i'm sorry I'm excited. This will be my first year at Consensus. Usually I've just come and gone to all of the events around Consensus. Oh, that's the best. I mean, if you're in New York, that's the only thing. Like, why drop three grand? Yeah, I mean, I snuck in last year, but... Boss. Know. Yeah. It's crypto. We're degens. That's just... <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're not all degenerates, all right? I'm not anymore. I'm here I trying to, to, to instill good HODL values, all right? To save your Bitcoin. Good HODL values. <laughs> I just made that up on the go. That's good. That's yeah. good. Nah, so, like, honestly, like you said, like, crypto is full of scammers. I do think like, if, if you do go full circle and you come, like, you realize, that's the thing I've come to realize. And what I believe wholeheartedly is that a lot of the quote-unquote crypto people who are spinning up new um, blockchains and using complexity to sell that stuff don't realize the beauty in Bitcoin simplicity. I would agree. Bitcoin needs to do very, like, if a blockchain is to be successful, and I would argue, like, 
if Bitcoin was to ever be flippened or something was to overtake Bitcoin, quote unquote, which I don't think will happen, but if it ever did happen, it would destroy the space for quite a while because the whole value proposition is that this is supposed to be a store of Bitcoin, the first initial cryptocurrency that was successful. It's supposed to be a store of value into perpetuity. And if you destroy that uh, possibility within the first two decades, like why would anything else be able to attain that? Right. That's true. The more, the longer I'm in crypto, the more I see the, the, the value of Bitcoin. Um, so I've got this theory that everyone starts as, you know, on this broad spectrum where everything is cool and then they'll go through their different shitcoin phases where they're like, Oh, there's this one that's going to do this. And there's this one that's going to do that. And then given a little bit of time, you realize that it, you know, Bitcoin is pretty damn awesome just by itself. And seeing the dedication and the tribalism around Bitcoin is, but it's, it's inspiring. I don't think tribalism is bad. I think that the reason that ETH is falling apart right now is because they're destroying their tribe. Um, let's dive into this. Fuck ETH. Uh, I'm sorry. Did I say that loud? Say it louder. No, it's so look, so nothing is, nothing is more disheartening as a miner than Prog POW, dude. It's coming. It it was, listen, I'm, I'm a fan of Prog POW. Are you? I am. Why? Because that will at least save ETH for the miners. What's happening now is you have ETH saying that they're going to go to staking. You got Vitalik coming out and and basically you can't have 1.X and 2.0 at the same time. Well, you can't. I mean, you can't have anything with ETH because they don't, they don't do anything. Like, Constanta never is a very real thing, right? Like, <laughs> oh, that's my most famous t- uh, Twitter thread on Twitter. I've, uh, I've been in the scene to lab in the Black Swan has a passage. Uh, the, uh, the more you wait, the longer you'll be expected to wait. So yeah. if you're expected to transition a proof of stake within 18 months, which, which was their initial, um, which was their initial goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get the 18 months and it's not there yet, you'll be expected to wait another three months. And three months after that, if you're not there, you'll be expected to wait another six months. And then if you get there, you'll be expected to wait another year. And I've been collecting a thread of uh, Ethereum uh, POS transition deadlines since August of 2017. And they just added another one today. It's not happening in Q2 to 2020. They're pushing it to Q4. It's not happening. It's, it, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not happening because to dream up a scenario where anyone in that community can get on the same page long enough to make one concerted effort is ludicrous. Well, oh, the most devs, dude. It's all about the devs. They add more devs. You add more community. You add more voices. You add more confusion. And like, so let's talk about it. Like, they are actively saying we're going to move to a system that makes your miners obsolete. What does that mean from a miner's perspective? I mean, shit. Think of all the capital that has been deployed to support that network. How would you feel if you had spent millions of dollars on anything and someone immediately with the flip of a switch made all of it obsolete? Now you have millions of dollars worth of paperweights. Exactly. It's, it's, it's so short. Well, and, and it doesn't make any sense. The move doesn't make any sense. So the claim that mining is bad for the environment is false it, it's dumb it's it's like it's like calling someone a racist because you don't have something intelligent to say right like you got to think something better it, it's it's unsubstantiated and you can claim whatever you want to claim but there's nothing to back up those claims a lot of the miners that are there like you look at the people who are mining eth 
they're, you know, they've got all of these GPUs that are not really consuming enough power that's going to damage an environment. And a lot of the power that they're drawing from is renewable anyway. It's not like they're burning coal to mine ETH, you know? It's, yeah. it's just the, it's like the ETH community makes it seem like miners are burning dead children well, to fuel their... That's, that's, I mean, that was the whole fucking selling point. It was like, originally... And that's what pisses me off is the whole changing in the narrative of what Ethereum was meant to be. And it was a, it was a virtue signal chain. Like we're going to be the environmentally friendly chain. We're going to, we're going to bring proof of stake. You're going to have the world computer. We're going to be Turing complete. (laughs) All that is a red herring. Like it's like bullshit. It's like, ETH was a platform to launch ICOs. Yes. And I, I, now that Hester Pierce has had, did you see you that? You got today? three years. You got three years to make a, a hey, viable product. You better go all in on ETH. That's going to pump. Uh, Hester Pierce is pumping pump. that shit coin. It's definitely going to pump. That's the thing that pisses me off. Like A lot of this shit's going to pump too. It's going to, it confuses the fuck out of people. Well, okay. So what people have to understand is if, if you're going to go down that rabbit hole, you have to look at altcoins as leverage trading for Bitcoin. Right. If you are going to buy an alt, the only purpose you would ever buy an alt is to flip it for more BTC later. But I, I don't like. I, I don't want to incentivize this because this might not be the right like, podcast for that. No, no, you, no. You can <laughs> say that, and I agree with that. But like, most people aren't going to be good traders. It's like, true. Like, like coming from a fund background, like you can't just get into the shit and trade. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to know what to do. It's true. You're going to get your dick pushed in. Like, and the the, the siren called to do it is loud. And it's appeasing and it sounds good and it's easy for a lot of people to get into. If you're out there thinking, ah, oh, I'm going to game the rest of the people, go fuck yourself. You're not going to do it. It's probably true. Yeah. I mean, I lost my, all my money at first. I, I can't, I can't be the person to say that you're going to jump in and make a ton of money. Yeah. I, yeah. So tread carefully. Tread carefully. I mean, and, and I am an honest, like I honestly, earnestly believe that like in the long run, Bitcoin will winner take most at least if not like 98 percent, 99 percent of this total addressable market cap agreed um you're just better off dollar cost average again agreed agreed yeah. yeah i mean that's the so i put out a tweet i guess it was a year ago august where i said that we were going to put 10 percent of our household earnings towards bitcoin every month and we have and we just treated it like a savings account it's been really cool to you know get my wife involved in that as well um, but we just, we put it in a savings, you know, and I did that this month as well. Um, I think that's, what, it, that's what I do. Too. And it doesn't matter what, what it costs. Like we just, you know, 10% of whatever we have goes to Bitcoin and what it costs, it costs. Um, you know, in the long run, we're going to be up. I mean, right now we're up because of when we've been buying, but it, it's funny how people forget it. Everyone assumes that when you buy it now, you're a trader. When, if you think of your 401k, you don't trade your 401k. Like, maybe you have someone managing it for you, but you're not actively trading your 401k. If you are, you're an idiot, you know? Yeah, and this is not to say that, like, trading, you can't be successful trading. It's to say that you are unlikely to be successful trading because very few people are. You got to know yourself. Yeah. You got to know, like, the first opportunity I had to move out of trading, I would, it's just, it's super stressful. That's, like, it's so much easier DCAing. I'm like, oh, my God, because I can't imagine, like, staring at charts, I don't have the attention span. And people who are good at it, like Scott Melker, I have a lot of respect for him. He he's the guy, and he'll he'll put it out there. He's like, yeah, I looked at charts for five minutes today, and to me, that's like he's like Rain Man. You know, like I can't do that. And good for him. I'm glad he can. That's just not me. Yeah. 
You know, know some yourself. people are gifted like that. Know yourself. Yeah. It's uh, especially in this space. Yeah. Because there's, again, the siren calls are loud, man. A lot of people make it seem like it's easy. It's yep. a quick buck. Yeah. And there will come a time when and it, it will seem very, very easy. Yes. Um, and I think we're nearing that time. But and you won't know when to get out. Nope. Nope. It's, and some of my favorite, uh, quote unquote, crypto personalities are traders. I fucking love Jabus. I fucking love Kobe. I love, like... Those are like, and those are OGs. Like, yeah. that, that, that's who, like, made me cognizant of Bitcoin. Like, they were the, like the early Bitcoin Twitter people, like Jabus and Crypto Cobain, and uh, not so fast, not a trader, but like, uh, not so fast as like a shitcoin expert. Yeah, um, miner as well, and he's just, he's just a wealth of knowledge. Every time I have a conversation with him, I come away feeling more intelligent. Uh, just, you know, he's one of those people like you get around him and you can just borrow some of his smarts for a, a period of time. Yeah. Really, really good guy. Hey, if you're listening, I'd love to talk to you. Oh, I'm sure he would come on. No problem. Yeah. Not so fast as the man. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, no, and that's, but like freaks, if you're listening out there and I'm, and then if you're listening out there, you're probably a Bitcoin or it doesn't give a shit about trading. But if you're not like, if you're not a professional trader, just don't fucking run into trading it's not gonna work out for you it's not worth it no it's not worth it enjoy your life yes. <laughs> enjoy your life <laughs> seriously it'll age you five years in three months it's just it was uh tough lessons learned 2019 2019 was by far i think the most challenging year of my life um see that was my 2015 yeah yeah loving every minute of it though man i wouldn't take a moment of it back there's been a lot of lessons no, i've been learned the, the, I made a lot of great friends too that too like how great are the people that you be in this space I love it. It's right. great meeting people that are, I mean, like this conversation. I'm loving this. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's not, there's not another industry where you could get together with someone this quickly and have a, have like an intelligent conversation that isn't totally built around some kind of pretense or what can I get from you? What can you get from me here? It's just, it's genuine, you know, like I, I sent out a tweet that I'm coming to New York city and I've got a bunch of random people on Twitter that I've never met before saying, Hey, let's meet up and grab a drink. Um, and I know that when I get together with them, we've got one thing in common. Chances are we're going to, we're going to hit it off. We're going to be good friends and we'll always have that one thing in common, you know? So it's, it's been, it's been awesome, man. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade this time for anything, No, anything. I'm so, it gives you, or I don't want to speak for you, but it like gives me confidence that this is worthwhile, right? Yeah. Well, and the network, that's the, the network effect of all of this is, incredible because the space is so small people who are listening to this podcast right now just like do something like get active in some way shape or form everyone is six degrees of separation from literally everyone in the space yeah and it's the coolest thing you can you can literally do anything levers the network yeah and that's that's the crazy thing you'll come to learn too like you dm people and they'll respond yep and they'll be like hey you're interested in this? Thank God. I can't fucking talk to my brother about this, but you're asking me something that I would love to talk about. Yeah. And it, it's, it's so new. And most people that are listening to this podcast are light years ahead of the majority of the population to where, you know, like the small town that I moved into where I moved to in Ohio for a little, a little time after I moved out of Florida, um, they had gotten attacked by hackers who had held them for ransom. Wait, what was it, the, the Harpleed one? I don't know. They, they couldn't explain it to me. So I went there to try to help them build a tech makerspace for the youth in the area. It's a disadvantaged area. We were trying to help them raise some money so that they could get kids in after-school programs, get them in IT workshops and things of that nature. And when we were doing our initial 
you know, presentation for the community, um, one of their commissioners came up and told me about this, this hack that they'd had and they paid eight Bitcoin in ransom to get all of the sensitive information back. And I was explaining to him that like, they still have it all. You know, like <laughs> they just sent you a copy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> he was like, what do you mean? No, they gave it all back. I'm like, no, that's not how this works. And so you get the opportunity to share some of this information with people. And like next time they'll be aware next time they'll understand how to, how to handle those situations better. And everyone has the ability to just like, it's one or two phone calls and you can become, I'd hate to use the word authority, but you can become someone within your community that others will look to for, for guidance on situations. And who knows where that can go. Yeah. We call him, uh, the uncle Jim, uncle Jim is running the node that you connect to. <laughs> and, uh, and you can, you can make sure that you're not running your node through a centralized service it, and your centralized service will be uncle Jim and not, uh, some company that you don't know. Dude, I was talking to somebody today that has developed uh, software that scans his network for his miners to it's like an anti anti fuckery device mm -hmm. so it scans his network it can tell if pools are doing anything shady if any of his firmware or software is doing anything shady with his his hash rate and um, we had this great conversation and he built this on himself i was so impressed well this is a great learning experience like how could these people fuck with you and how would you notice so there's a lot of a lot of comments that people will make about hidden fees with pools, right? Um, when you're mining, you have to make sure that you are actually mining to your wallet. Most people understand that by now, but there's the ability for people to get in and change the wallet address. So you pay for power, you pay for all the equipment, all the Bitcoin goes to them, somebody else. right? And there's no way to get that back, obviously. So he had developed a system to just make sure that that wasn't happening. Uh, and then the, to be honest, when he was explaining it to me, the way that he scans the hash rate is complex beyond my level of technical understanding. Um, but he's got it down. We're gonna we're running tests right now with Hashrate OS to see um, how this will work. But if it does work, it will force a level of integrity on all operators that will be incredible. Um, we've we've really been pushing this idea of transparency and integrity. Uh, you know, when we started Hashrate, we were getting, it just everyone tends to fuck with the mining community. It's a very competitive space. Fuck with the mining community? The mining community fucks with? No, they fuck with the mining community. The service providers. The pools? In general. The, mm -hmm. the, so you've got Antminer who has their practices for how they release their equipment. You have you the... Amp lead, which was a thing. Well, yeah, well, you've got you've got the firmware providers who also they pro they provide this this firmware that has fees that are sometimes transparent. There's sometimes uh, a little bit of discrepancy between what they say they're charging, what they'll actually charge. You have various software providers that will do bait and switches and say that you know you're getting software for free, but in reality, whenever you mine through a certain pool, you're actually paying way more than you would otherwise. So you know when we came into this, we we're like, all right. Profit is important. Yes, we have to operate a business, but let's not focus on profit. We started our business with the understanding like we were miners, we hated what we had to deal with. So let's figure out how to avoid that kind of shit so that other people don't have to deal with it. And everything that we've done since then is we've just been on this search to find good people that really want to help and to try to leverage whatever kind of like, call it clout, call it, you know, social capital, whatever you want to call it, whatever we have, we want to pass it on to people who are doing really good stuff that can provide that stuff to the mining community, either for free or for a discount. Um, 
in a way that will benefit them greatly. And it's just like the conversations that we've had over the last three months have been amazing. There's some really cool people with great initiatives. Uh, Mauricio DeBartolomeo. OG. Yeah. Been on the podcast before. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Led and I. Yeah. So he's, he's been, he was one of my favorite interviews on our podcast. Um, but his proof of reserves, phew, I'm like, I want to see that take off. It's a hard problem to solve. Yeah. I want to see that take off. No, no. It, and it should. And that's, that's something that Nick Carter has been pushing too. Like if you, like we have the ability to do this in some capacity, like it should be done, right? Like mm-hmm. you shouldn't have quadrigaxes or Mount Goxes anymore. I always, so I'm going to be transparent here. I, Nick Carter always strikes me as someone who's too smart for me to talk to. Like every time I walk up to him, like, he just seems, he just seems too intelligent. Like, and that's not, that's not an insult. That's like the highest compliment. Like I always walk up to him, like there's nothing that I'm going to say that's at, that's going to add value to this guy. Um, Uh, And it's only because you'd be surprised, but he's, he's so sharp and everything that I read of his, um, you know, the times that I've heard him at conferences, uh, he's, he is an incredibly sharp guy. Um, but yeah, I, I agree him and Mauricio with this proof of reserves. It's a, well, it is where the space needs to go. Yeah. But that's like, it's like, how do you solve that? Like Eric Voskul has very strong thoughts on proof of reserve as well. Like, is it really possible? Like, could you just move coins into wallets, sign it and then move them out and pretend like you have the reserves, but they're like ephemeral, right? There's always gaming. Yeah. Someone will always find a way to game it for yeah. sure. But the question then is, you know, from a game theory perspective, is the gamification still an improvement on the way that the system currently operates? Like, even if it's gamified and people are still, you know, moving them in and out quickly. It's like, yo, you had these one minute. Yeah. You can bring them back, right? It's that extra step. Like, will the scammers actually go through that extra step? And that's not to say anyone that doesn't participate is a scammer. Um, but again, it's the opportunists in the space. Yeah, no, and, and I think it's a very emblematic of where we are yeah. like we're 11 years in like yeah and these are alien technologies right yeah. it, it literally an alien technology was dropped on us by somebody we it could be a fucking alien or an ai at the end of the day we have no idea it was just How like dropped on be? us How right crazy <laughs> if i was sm- still smoking pot we'd smoke a joint and talk about this what but. if what if mcafee is satoshi <laughs> <laughs> uh i don't think he could be but no, that's like it is literally alien technology. We have no idea who created it. Could be the NSA too. Ah, uh, we had yeah. There's I don't remember his name, but yeah, go ahead. That no, is. when the NSA is brought up, I always fall back on it's like open source. Like everybody can audit it. Hopefully, there are people much smarter than me that are like, all right, this was the NSA. <laughs> <laughs> it's God, man. What if it is? Are it they could be. Right uh, they definitely are. Hey. My NSA supervisor. You're, We're going to check in next week. You're definitely going to get a call about Iran. <laughs> I, yo, I fuck with Iranians. <laughs> Iranian citizens. I, the, the Iranian citizens I've met, I like. Sina, what up? That's yeah, like, I, I've, I, I have no qualms with them. I'd love to be able to service the country, but, you know, it's it, them and Belarus. It's, they're, they're on... I don't agree with, like, the autocratic, like, government. I do like the people of Iran. For sure. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry for doxing you, Cena. Cena probably has no idea who I am at this point. It's been years since we've talked. (laughs) (laughs) But we were supposed to talk about mining. And one thing I do want to talk about is the transition 
Like, what do you think? How do you think hash rate is affected at the having this year? So having has been pushed up to like late April now. It's not even in May anymore. Yeah, they they say that it's going to be uh, late April. Um, who knows? Who knows when it'll actually fall? Um, I mean, last I checked, the Bitcoin block is still ten minutes. So no, it's not. It's like averaging like nine point oh seven. I think that we're gonna. I think that you know if it if nine, it's nine if it's late seven seconds if it's late April or if it's early May. Um, there's going to be a correction in the hash rate at some point in time. We are going to, I mean, the exponential increase that we've been experiencing since God, who knows when, you know, it it seems like forever now. Uh, I think we will see a pretty big correction. And I had a conversation with Matt D'Souza. You said 30%. Hmm? You said 30% on your podcast last week, didn't you? Yeah. I I think, I think we'd see more than that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think we could see more than that. It's, it's all going to be dependent on, uh, I mean, when that reward gets cut in half, you got to think that a lot of people's, uh, a lot of people's, their production costs are going to double. <laughs> so it, it's, it's not a great situation for people to be in who are FOMOing into S17 pluses right now, because they're going to be in not a good place depending on the cost of power. So what's more important in your mind, getting low cost energy or getting the miners at a low cost? A low cost energy yeah. because if you've got that you can always buy miners mm-hmm. you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be one or the other but if you have a low cost a low energy cost you can always you know fork over the money for for miners later so when the having happens what is the price ceiling on the energy in your opinion four cents four cents yeah that seems pretty expensive I have, I've... yeah the ceiling though yeah yeah the ceiling i think the the biggest miners are going to be at, at two cents. Okay. Um, you know, we're going to see, I mean, in Kazakhstan right now, I've heard reports that people are getting a cent or slightly under, but it's going to be like everything you, depending on the government that you're a part of and the people that you know, your costs will vary. Vary. Right. Yeah. So let's, for my audience who may not be abreast of the dynamics of the mining uh, industry, let's talk about getting energy uh, that's on the grid versus off the grid. Like what are the differences? What are the pros? What are the cons? So on the grid is, I think something that people are familiar with. It's constant. Uh, there tends to be less variability. Um, when you're saying off the grid, I assume you mean straight from the source. Okay. So if it, you know, straight from the source is, is good if you can afford uh, the infrastructure that goes along with that. But it, you know, straight from the source, if you're referring to like natural gas, let's say, um, there, there are other costs that are associated. So you've got to buy gensets, generators that, that run and then can process and obviously convert that natural gas into the electricity that runs the mining equipment. Those deteriorate over time. So you bring in other variables like the quality of the gas that you're bringing up. Um, there's upstream, which is you know from, from the well in the ground. Um, and then there's midstream, which means it's already been brought out of the ground. Uh, Texas has a lot of midstream gas and that midstream gas will run your generators for much longer without deteriorating them as much because they don't need to, there's just, it's, it's like if you bring unrefined oil out, right? Um, but yeah, those are, those are the two, you know, when it comes to the gas, I think those are the two ways that it's, it's being done right now. And there's a big, there's a big draw for that. As you know, you know, the, these oil and gas companies are really looking to move to a way that they can extract that gas so that they can keep drilling for oil yeah no that's what i've heard is the uh the biggest uh hurdle for them is 
their alternatives right now are what like liquefying the gas and then trying to transport that or flaring or flaring which is frowned upon giving the giving the eth heads a chubby Uh, (laughs) well all right let's dive into this like fuck the eth heads is bitcoin bad for the environment if it is used correctly in the long run or is it actually good for the environment if you're able to curtail that flare well, I mean, if you can curtail flare and you can you can filter the natural gas through a generator that's going to then produce Bitcoin, it's good for the environment. I, I would say that 100% of the time. Bitcoin in general, I think, is indifferent for the environment. I think that, you know, the majority of the mining is done from renewable resources that, uh, you know, is being, it would be consumed otherwise, or it would be wasted, which, in my opinion, wasted energy hurts our economy because now you have someone who has spent the money to actually, you know, produce that power that now has to do nothing with it. And Bitcoin miners that can step in and use that, I mean, they're, they're feeding money into the economy. There's, I don't see a bad, a bad situation there. No, and it all comes down to price at the end of the day, too. And like, yeah. what is the cheapest energy source? That wasted energy or yeah, yeah, stranded sure. renewables, yep. right? Yep. Like, stranded gas is definitely the, the way to go. Um, finding those reserves, which are plentiful, uh, is becoming easier and easier. And yeah, it, there are a lot of solutions that are being established that can help to turn that gas into Bitcoin. Um, over the next couple of years, the strides that will be made in that specific area of Bitcoin mining are some of the most exciting, I think. Yeah, I think it's just a, a matter of convincing the oil and gas companies that it's worthwhile, right? Like, hey, this is an alternative to your current uh, flare bent mitigation system. Like, maybe you should look at this. And, oh, for sure. Like, and these oil and gas companies, what do they care about? They just care about the oil, right? Like, it's the most profitable thing in their business. They're like, oh. Well, but what's the, what's the, like, what's their biggest pain point when it comes to that? So if I'm an oil and a gas company, uh, you know, one of the things that I fear the most is environmental backlash. So if I have the ability to do something that can mitigate the damage caused by flaring or by however I have to get rid of that natural gas... Um, and I can generate revenue in the process. It's a no brainer. You know, it's, it's just the, it's the, the learning curve, the educational process there is the, the cumbersome challenge because you're tackling behemoths that are, you know, multi-billion dollar companies in most cases, um, that know what they know and don't really care to figure out what they don't know. Uh, but it's, it's a process like everything. It takes, you know, a while to drill down, but headway will be made. So you're saying proof of stake systems will never run the world. Why do you do this to me? Why? I mean, <laughs> let me just put it this way. Because I have to. Let me just because put it. Because I have to, Wit. <laughs> let me just put because it Because I have way. to. If I thought proof of stake was worth a damn, I wouldn't have dedicated all of my Bitcoin to building a mining <laughs> software system. <laughs> proof of stake has been proven not to work. Way die. His B money didn't work. Listen, mixed, mixed, mixed nets can work. If there's a proof of stake and proof of work component, don't shield decred on my podcast. Can, I won't. I won't. Don't shield decred on my can, podcast. It can work. However, I'm a proof of stake or a proof of work fan. Did you see what you did to me there? Did you see what that just, <laughs> that just happened? Wick Gib is a proof of stake fan. Oh my just god! It. Oh my I'm gonna god. clip it, clip it, and put it on the internet. Oh, no, but it, and and for me, I'm a dumb. I'm a dumb person. You're not. I think I'm a dumb person. It just makes sense to me, like hard work. Like proof of work, like makes sense. Like you have to expend energy and value 
to prove to embed these transactions on this blockchain. Like that's the only fair way, in my opinion, like proof of stake, being able to buy a bunch of capital and throw it at a staking mechanism. Not as fair, in my opinion. So you know who's being very smart about this is layer one. So if you followed anything that layer one has done, they are no longer calling them mining facilities. They're calling them Bitcoin production factories. <laughs> because again, it's taking the obscure and it's making it palatable. Mm -hmm. So they're putting this in terms that people can understand. And I think that they are going to be far and away the leader in North American Bitcoin production and in ASIC hardware and in due time because they understand not only the narrative, but also, uh, well, not only the, the Bitcoin aspect, but also the narrative. And as more people understand that, it will move away from the argument that proof of stake could potentially compete with proof of work. It's always been a virtue signal. It's always been a virtue signal. Yeah, I mean, it's like communism. Just show me a situation where it works, and then I'll believe you. Right? You know what I mean? Like, just show me. Show me. Like, Bitcoin works. It works. Like, 11 years. If it wasn't for Bitcoin, none of the other shit would exist. Like, show me that your system works, and then I'll buy into it. But if all we're going to do is argue for four years about how you might do something, I mean, you're like my friends in high school who couldn't get laid. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's oh, six months away, dude. It's always six months away. Hey, man. Away. Prom's coming up. It's always six months away. <laughs> are we going to sign a, are we gonna sign an agreement? Is this American Pie? No, but it's like, cock. So, so many people get hung up on that, though, dude. What can you do? I, I am hopeful for ProgPow, though. Uh, like, that is something. Why? GPU miners, man. Like, okay. I, How can you be? Like, if they change it to ProgPal, what confidence are you going to have that they won't change it to something else in the future? If they if they do implement ProgPal, it will take them so long to... I mean, it's already going to take them so long to implement anything. Um, but I think the definitive action on ProgPal would basically eliminate the, the thought of proof of stake. Um, and the funny thing is... Before they ever... That would destroy Ethereum, though. Like, how... You're assuming right now it's not already destroyed, though. Yeah, that's true. That's, like, that's, that's the only thing is, like, right now all of this is... And I have friends that are going to give me shit about this, no, but... Fuck your friends. Um, but it, it's... Sorry. No, I love nah, you No, man, but it, it's... Like, I, I've been the biggest person... Uh, the biggest proponent of saying that ETH is just a platform to launch ICOs. Um, it's still mineable, but when Vitalik started to, you know, demonize miners and... I had to watch all of my friends take a bath on their, you know, their, their GPUs that are no longer profitable in mining ETH. It was rough. It was rough. So I, I, you know, I hope that ETH implements something that will still favor GPU miners. If they don't, I hope they die a slow and painful death. I can get down with that, but like they have, they have two visions. They either stay on proof of work or they like transition to proof of like in, to the, that pisses me off. Right. Cause they like create this, perceived optionality like oh it could work one way or the other but it's like if it doesn't work it doesn't work yeah and you know right now you've got a lot of people saying that it works great as it is i heard someone put out the argument that it, it works awesome as a privacy coin oh um, my god but it's so eth is slowly moving into ripple like they're just like the people who bag hold eth are just becoming the zerp crowd um yeah, God bless. God bless. God bless. Alex never, or uh, Vitalik never should have given up Bitcoin Magazine. Right? That's that's the saddest part about this because he was writing some of the best content. That's and that's like the biggest, going back to siren calls, like that's the biggest flaw 
of a lot of the big personalities in this space, in my opinion, is like you see the success of Bitcoin, you're like, I could do better. But it's like, eh, could you really? Like, I'm a huge believer in the timing of Bitcoin, the Immaculate Conception. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's replicable. And if you do replicate it, you destroy the underlying uh, value prop of the whole asset class. Like, it is Bitcoin or nothing. Where you just like basically hit this like holy shit it works yeah and if it fails everything fails in my opinion um yeah and you know the the cliche is that the first one through the door always gets shot i think bitcoin has proven that that's not the case so i mean it's it's really hard to knock it right now you've got huge financial backers you've got tons of people spending millions of dollars to deploy you know hardware to support this network um I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. And that's one thing I believe too. Like I've been writing about this. I think there's an order of operations to all this. If like we want these systems to be successful in the long run, like you actually need like a lot of people think of it as solely a software revolution, but there's hard, like, as we know, we're talking about mining tonight. Yeah. Like we need the mining infrastructure to be sufficiently distributed and, uh, uh sophisticated for the software to succeed. And I think a lot of like the ETH, the DeFi crowd, severely discounts that yeah i can't speak to the DeFi crowd but definitely eth um that the is, fact that, that is the DeFi crowd are they are they all the yes they, they're they all, all have to get lumped into DeFi. yeah is, is it lead in DeFi? well, well yes uh, uh leaden is a form but they're using die dies are stable coin uh, okay, but i think true i, I think DeFi. but again order of operations yeah. right you can't have an assurance for decentralized like whatever like I only want a savings account. I only want Bitcoin. Yes, if you want to go get loans and some distributed mm-hmm. app, go for it. But I do wholeheartedly believe you need this infrastructure built out first to it to make sure that the assurances of that decentralized financial system will actually uh, come to fruition, like that you'll actually de- be able to depend on it at the end of the day. True. The hardware infrastructure is important. And yeah. I think a lot of people are discounting the hardware infrastructure. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. That's... That's something that as we move forward, the the most valuable assets in this space will be backed by significant amounts of hardware. You know, if you were going to, I mean, just look at anything, look at any commodity, you know, if, if you were going, yeah, I mean, it it just kind of, it, it paints its own picture as, as we move forward, especially through the halving, I think that yes, a lot of capital is being deployed now into mining, um, there may be a little bit of a, a stall as we approach the halving. I think that we will see a level of capit- capitulation after the halving. And when that capitulation occurs, I think we will see an unprecedented amount of capital get deployed to buy that capitulated mining equipment. So capitulation solely in hash rate or price? When I say capitulation, I mean of mining hardware. Okay. So I think that we're going to see people who have either bought for stupid prices, uh, their hardware for stupid prices, or they're paying more than they should be for electricity because they wanted to FOMO in before the halving. Um, they are going to capitulate and sell their equipment. And at that time, we will see capital that's been sitting on the sidelines get deployed in a massive way to buy those miners at discounted prices. And then we will see an exponential rise in Bitcoin. I don't do price targets, but I'm going to keep buying. I'm as well. And that's, that's the other thing. Like, uh, like talking about minor capitulation. Fuck. The bourbon's got me fucked. <laughs> the, um, what was I going to go into? The, um, give me a second. Where are we at? We're putting some work on this bourbon, man. 130, 143, 10. 
fuck, I completely forgot about it. what is it? I, like I had something perfect to say to. Let me write this down. One forty three ten. Oh, that's so that's the thing. Like the timing of when you buy the miners is so important. And as a miner, like when do you when do you figure that out and how do you cuz the hardware price is very reflexive to the price of Bitcoin, right? As soon as Bitcoin goes up, hash rate goes up. The the underlying hardware price is very reflexive to that, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so in spring 2019 when we saw the the pump um, at that time, Bitcoin was going, the hardware was going up about 30% week to week. And when we see a decline in price, it, well, the Bitcoin facilities can mine at a loss for a period of time, right? But if it becomes clear that that's not sustainable, they will start to liquidate assets. And when they liquidate, they usually have to do it in a fairly fast time frame. Um, so you're able to mine or you're able to monitor a lot of the telegram channels that will help to liquidate and you'll see it. You'll see the, the prices go from, you know, 1500 to 1200 to a thousand to 900 to 600. And then, you know, people are just buying all the way down just like they would with, with Bitcoin, their dollar cost averaging their miners, which of course helps with your, their ROI. You know, right now, a lot of people are projecting if they're buying an S17 that their ROI is... I mean, depending on the cost of power, 11 to 14 months, um, you know, I mean, which is totally reasonable considering current prices after the halving, if you're buying mining equipment and you're paying, let's say, you know, four cents per kilowatt hour, but you're getting your S17s at 50% of what they're selling for now, you can it's basically even get pretty close to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating, man. It's so dynamic. So done that so many variables at play, like so many things, four. right? Well, I mean, that, so that's the, four, so what are the four variables? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really can't believe I said that out loud. Uh-huh. <laughs> Caught you. Yeah, you did. So you got your OPEX, your CAPEX, your, um, your power and your land. So, uh, but the, after those four variables, you're, it's, that's basically it. There's Just nothing. Managing the yeah. risk management within yeah. those variables. You plug those in and that's it. Yeah, you know, so it, it's a very formulaic situation, and after that, it's just numbers. And there's always dumb money coming in, right? Or will there always be dumb money coming in? I, I'm hoping that the dumb money will be invested in smart companies that will then deploy that capital. Okay. So you know, I think there would have been a time in the past where people would have looked at, uh, you know, a fidelity, even though you know, they're massive and they would have considered them to be a dumb money fund. But Fidelity, being as smart as they actually are, jumped out in front of the blockchain and the Bitcoin trend and it's like created a huge, like a department dedicated to this. So now a lot of these, what would otherwise be considered big, cumbersome financial institutions are cognizant and aware enough to create these you know these little sects within their their operations to where the what would otherwise be dumb money is now actually pretty smart you know amanda fabiano and the team there i have so we talked about a lot of shit conferences that i that we went to in the past the mining summit that they did in boston last year was my favorite thing that i've been to ever in crypto i learned more in that one day 
Like I couldn't even stay for the after party. So I'm like, I, we finished, I went downstairs and I'm like, all right, I've got to like, I need to go get this out. So like I have this process where after I, like if I sit through something where it's intense learning, I got to go write stuff down or I'll forget it. You know? So I, I like, I bolted out of there, started taking notes and that was just like, that was the most impactful day of probably of 2019 for me. You're not the first person who's told me that. Um, I've heard that conference in particular is like very dense and very high quality. Yeah, for sure. And that's how crazy is it to see Fidelity, like Abby Johnson and crew, like just take big, uh, and that's the beauty of Fidelity too, right? They're still private. It still blows my mind. Right. They have like 2 trillion assets under management. 7.2. 7.2, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> Off by an order magazine. <laughs> $7.2 trillion. And they're private, dude. And they're thinking about Bitcoin. Smart people are thinking about Bitcoin. Yeah. Is that where we ended on? Are we done here? Can we keep going? I could, but I don't know if we should. I think we should. I don't want to force you to do it. We're an hour and 50 minutes in. <laughs> I'm here. I'm in New York until tomorrow. We can talk for a while. What's your least favorite part of New York? My least favorite part of New York? I don't know that I have one. Right now, so this may sound terrible, but right now with everything that's going on with the, the coronavirus, I'm kind of in this like let's dodge people thing. So my least favorite place is anywhere crowded. Yeah, and you're in the most crowded city yeah, in the U.S. I know, it's uh, terrible. But you, we're drinking whiskey. So I sent you the article. Yes. We got to get some honey involved. It was, it was cured yes. by honey and, and honey and whiskey. So hot, uh, hot toddies, as they're called. Hot in the toddies, town. yes. Uh, I don't want to trigger anybody. Just go listen to Dave Collin podcast. We talk about this shit. That there's, was a great podcast. There's, we don't know what's going on. Like, it, it's freaking me out that I'm in one of the economic hubs of the world and there's apparently a pandemic where we've been letting uh, people fly into the city from where the virus is. From. Yeah. And we don't have many cases here. Yeah. It the, may be targeting a particular type of person. That's all I'm going to try to say. So two of my founders are, my co-founders are obsessed with this. So every morning I've been in Europe, they've been in the States. So I would wake up to like, you know, a laundry list of comments and like tweets and videos of what's going on in Wuhan. And it's, it's the more you plug into it, the more worried you get. Um, my wife thinks I'm crazy. Every time I bring it up, she's like, just shut up about it already. Uh, and it's true. I think that it's, it's something that we need to be cognizant of, but I don't know that it ne- it's a necessary thing to worry about. We've been through this many times, Ebola, SARS, yeah. swine flu. Yeah. If it's your time, it's your time. You're going to go. You could get hit by a bus. Yes. That's a big quote here on Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> enjoy it, freaks. Just enjoy it. You're going to be here for a short amount of time. You never know when it's going to fucking happen. It could happen to you right now. Like, hey, embrace. That's actually, once you embrace the fact that you, like, whenever I get on a plane, I'm like, hey, this could be it. This could be it. Like, I used to be afraid of flying. And then once you can find yourself to like, hey, this could be it. Life actually gets like a little, a little more refreshing. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Confine yourself to that. Um, getting way too drunk right now. You're welcome. Thank you. We we crushed half this bottle. We've been doing good, man. We've been doing good. As wellers. Do you have oh, any? F- hopefully, you edit this podcast. There's no editing. <laughs> <laughs> there is no editing. I hope you know that. I hope you knew that before you came. There on. we go. Do you hope for my sake or your no, sake? No, I'm good. <laughs> I, I have no filter. Yeah, neither do I. I think uh, life is more fun this way. I do as well. Do you, uh, before we part here, do you have any 
parting notes for the freaks any anything you want to get out there uh, you're awesome man keep doing what you're doing thank you so much for having me on dude, was, thank you for answering my dm time. dude it's a great time uh yeah we'll have to do it again sometime yeah go check out uh go check out the hash rate podcast number one and then hash rate os if you're a minor honestly dude uh somebody i was embarrassed that i your podcast had not been on my radar until monday of this week and i listened to it and i had to immediately reach out to you like you're in town this week we need to fucking talk well thanks man i appreciate that yeah we uh we're a a good mix of completely irreverent not suitable for work content and a little bit of mining mixed in um next show we'll have john mcafee on I'm just <laughs> no and uh, you know anyone who's into mining we'd love for you to check out os.hashrate.com um let us know what you think you know we're building this for miners so is love it or hate it you let us know hashrate.com is h-a-s-h-8 eight dot com. yeah on there you'll get the website you'll get the operating system some of our articles as well we'll link to it in the show notes perfect man Wit, I really appreciate you coming by, dude. Thanks for having me, dude. Peace and love, freaks.